Why don't you find your seats and let's open our Bibles. And uh, we're going to go to the book of Matthew today. We are in the book of Matthew. If you don't have a copy of God's Word, we want you to have a Bible. So our ushers are coming around. You can just get their attention. If you don't own one, uh, just take that Bible with you. Uh, we, it's a gift to you. We want to study God's Word together. Um, or you can follow along with us on the Bible app. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 2. We are uh, looking at some symbols of Christmas. There's a lot of symbols about uh, a Christmas. Maybe uh, there's some emojis that, that kind of, uh, I don't know about your phone, but if I, if I type in the word Christmas, uh, I can replace it with a Christmas tree. Uh, there's all sorts of symbols of Christmas. Maybe uh, bells or uh, Santa hats or wreaths, all sorts of symbols around Christmas. But the one that we've been looking at is the star. Have you been noticing stars all around this week? Uh, stars are everywhere right now. We're decorating Christmas uh, with stars. Maybe uh, you've gotten one of the Starbucks holiday cups. Maybe you got the green cup. Uh, maybe some, I, saw, I thought I saw one even here today, uh, the green cup that is decorated with the stars. Maybe you went downtown and saw Old Town Fairfax. Uh, they've got the big old Christmas tree, and on top is a massive star. We're seeing stars all over the place because the star is a symbol of Christmas, and the reason it's a symbol of Christmas is it comes straight out of the Bible. It comes straight out of God's Word. And so last week, we looked at a star from Numbers Chapter 24, verse 17, I've got it for you on the screen. Numbers 24, 17, this prophecy from uh, Balaam, who said, I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star shall come out of Jacob, and a scepter shall rise out of Israel. He was giving us this, this prophecy of the one who is to come, this, this star, this king that was coming. And today, uh, we're going to look at another star. We're going to look at the star that you think of when you think of Christmas. When you think about the star of Christmas, what comes into your mind? You probably can picture uh, your nativity scene at home. Maybe you have a, a star uh, over that. Or, or uh, you think of those Christmas card pictures. Uh, you can kind of visualize it in your mind right now. There's these silhouettes uh, of three guys on camels. And, and, and there, there's a, a night sky, and, and hanging in the night sky is this big old bright shining star with a tail as big as a kite. I think that's how it goes, right? Uh, that, that's the star that we normally think of. It's a star for the wise men. And when we think of the story of the wise men, um, there's a, a, a whole lot of, of misconceptions and um, the wise men, it's kind of intriguing. We have all sorts of questions when we think about, like, who, who are these guys? Like, how many, how many were there? Was it, was it, was it three wise was, was there a fourth wise man? Was it less? Was it more? And, 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 and what were their names? You know, some, some people have actually given them names and passed that on through tradition. And, 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 and what was happening? I mean, were, were they there with the shepherds in, in the stable? Was there a little drummer boy that walked up in the middle? Like, what, what's going on with these wise men? And, and, and I want to make sure that we're taking our cues, uh, not from uh, Christmas songs and, and cards, but we're getting it from God's Word, right? And, and, and when we come to God's Word, we're going to realize that the story of the wise men is not really about them at all. It's about Christ. And so as we look at this, Matthew chapter 2, uh, here's, here's the big idea if you're taking notes. This is, this is what we're going to see about 
Jesus, note this, Jesus is the king the world needs. Let me show that to you. Matthew chapter 2, starting in verse 1. You can follow along with me as I read. Matthew says, now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem saying, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled in all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. Christ meaning Messiah. Kind of putting some two and two together there. And so they told him, uh, it's in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem saying, Go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. That's a lie. And after listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. And then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. Here's the deal. Jesus is the king the world needs. And I think we're going to learn uh, two lessons here uh, from the star and the wise men. So note this. Here's the first. Um, He's not a king you can ignore. You see that? Uh, So so this this story um, actually takes place, Matthew tells us in verse 1, after Jesus has been born. Matthew doesn't actually include the traditional nativity scene. I mean, where's, where, where's, where's the innkeeper and, 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 and the manger and, and the shepherds? It's not, it's not there. In fact, in chapter 1, he gave us uh, Jesus' genealogy. He told us the, the line of Jesus came through, through Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called Christ. Christ is the word meaning the Messiah. He's from the line of the king of David, is what he's saying. And and why did he come? Well, he told us at the end of chapter 1, he said, He will save his people from their sins, and you shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. So from the go, Matthew is trying to get us to understand Jesus is the Son of God. He's the king. He's the king the world needs. He's the king that we need. And, and, and so instead of, instead of angels and, and shepherds showing up to worship him, he instead uh, says that wise men from the east came to Jerusalem. And because we're so familiar with the story, we're like, cue the you know, three boys walking up in bathrobes and, 
and Burger King crowns. Uh, in, in, in they're, they're really just excited that they don't have to be sheep again this year. And, and, and we're just used to it. We expect the wise men to show up because it's part of the story, right? But, but think about what's actually happening. This would have been shocking that these guys show up. Like, what are they doing here? Especially considering the fact that, that nobody else that is important seems to really even notice or care that this baby has been born. And so the minute these wise men show up on the scene, we've got all sorts of questions that are running through our head like, who are these guys and, 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 and where? I know it says they came from the east. That's kind of vague. Where, where did they come from and, and what are they doing here? Why, why are they here? Well, um, I'm going to be honest with you. We don't know a lot, okay? Uh, Matthew's pretty vague. He just says they're wise men from the east and and. Um, we don't have a whole lot of details, but, but, but there is some, uh, some, some backstory that we can get, maybe uh, give us kind of an idea. Uh, this, this, this word for wise men in the Greek is the word magoi. Um, the King James translate, translates that magi. It's where we get our English word magic. And so you can think of um, kind of like magicians is what they are. But don't think, don't, not, not like magicians like black hat and bunnies or that, that uh, guy that does Facebook videos and like predicts like what you're thinking or what color's coming. To, not, not like that. Really, these guys, uh, they're, they're from a, a different area, probably priests in, in Eastern religion. They are pagan sorcerers and, and astrologers. And because of that, they probably have some, some cultural, maybe even uh, political influence because they specialize in interpreting the stars and interpreting dreams. In fact, in, in uh, God's word, we've seen magi before. It's um, likely that they were probably a lot like the magicians and the sorcerers that showed up in Daniel chapter 2. Daniel chapter 2, you'll remember that that King Nebuchadnezzar had a dream and he was looking for somebody to interpret the dream for him and he turned to his magi. He he turned to his, his wise men. And the text here says that they, they saw his star when it rose. So something, something unusual happened in the sky, some astronomical phenomenon, and apparently these guys were really paying attention to it. That's what they did. They read the signs in the stars. And so there's kind of um, just, you know, we, we're, we're, we, we're guessing here. We're trying to get a little back, background. Uh, but there are kind of three theories as to where these guys came from and why. So I got a map here, and I just want to like, be able to visualize this a little bit uh, so that maybe maybe there's something here for us to learn. Uh, the first theory is, here, here is Jerusalem. The first theory is that these guys came from Persia, all the way over here. This is like as far east as, as people expect they may have come from. And the reason they think they might have come from Persia is Persia is kind of the heart of, of the religion known as Zoroastrianism. Zoro, not, not, not Zoro like the guy who like goes around slashing Z's everywhere, but Zoroaster uh, was a teacher. This is actually a religion that's still in existence today. And, and his teachings kind of got passed down. And the guys that became the leaders in Zoroastrianism are the Magi. The, 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 these astrologers and, and Persia is a, a really a great place for them to live. And so it's possible that they came from Persia. But the second 
theory is that they may have come instead from Arabia. You can see this is the Ara uh, Arabian Desert. This whole area, even below this map, is the Arabian Peninsula. It's possible they came from there. In fact, one of our early church fathers, Justin Martyr, uh, he said they came from Arabia. Um, whether that was credible, whether he knew, really knew what he was talking about or not, uh, my archaeologist friend in Israel thinks that uh, they probably came from this region. And, and the reason that, that theory has been popularized is because of what they brought. They brought some spices. And, and, and I got to go uh, to um, a place uh, called Petra. Petra is, I, I think I got a picture here. This, uh, I was doing my best Indiana Jones impersonation. It was awesome. This place was incredible in, in, in Petra. And this was the capital city of the Nabataean kingdom, kind of in the southeast uh, from Israel. This was on a major spice route, all right? Petra, in fact, the next picture will kind of show you, there, there's a whole lot that you can wind through the mountains through this city. There was an entire road that went through, and this road was a major spice route that people are bringing all sorts of goods from, and guess which spices are, are traveling through this area? Frankincense and myrrh really come from one place. They come from the southern end of the Arabian uh, peninsula. If we can put our map back up here, we'll kind of see. Uh, it, it, they, they really come from down here, even below this on the, uh, on the Arabian Peninsula, down here in the country, modern-day Yemen, which, which may have been the biblical location of Sheba. Does that ring any bells for anybody? So maybe you remember uh, Solomon was a king uh, of Israel, and man, he had a ton of stuff. He, he really, it's kind of like the glory days in the kingdom of Israel. And, and, and in 1 Kings chapter 10, we're told that the queen of Sheba came and paid a visit to Solomon, and it's likely that she came right through Petra, up this major uh, spice route, came all the way bringing, it said, spices and gold to Solomon. And so later, uh, Solomon is going to write some, some of the Psalms. I know we normally think of David wrote uh, most of the Psalms, but, but Solomon wrote some as well. And one of them that he wrote was seven, Psalm 72. And here's what he said. Uh, May the kings of Sheba and Seba bring gifts. May all kings fall down before him and may gold of Sheba be given to him. And so some people are thinking, well, maybe, maybe that was really messianic and this is being fulfilled by these wise men that are bringing gold from Arabia. It's possible. But the third um, theory is not that they came just from Persia or Arabia, but that they came from Babylon. Okay? And the major reason that some people and a lot of commentators think that they may have come from Babylon, one, we've already seen the Magi were there in Babylon. And it's entirely possible that these uh, wise men, these magi, could have learned Israel's scriptures during the time of Israel's captivity and exile while they're there. We know that Daniel had a lot of influence over the magi, and pretty sure he would have shared uh, God's word with them. So, so we, we don't know where they came from, but these guys are obviously pagan 
but they do know, they've, they've been studying other religions, and they must have had some knowledge of the Jewish messianic prophecies, because look what they say, verse 2, this is, this is what we're looking for, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star, so they're looking for it in the sky, they saw this star, and they knew that that was talking about a king. They're looking for a king, which is why they came to Jerusalem, Jerusalem's the capital city. I mean, if there's a king born in the nation, he's probably the capital's going to know. That's a great place to start looking, right? And so they show up looking for this king, but, 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 but how did they know? How, how did they know that that's what it meant? Well, it seems likely that they knew messianic prophecy. And most scholars believe that they, maybe they learned this uh, from when Israel had been in exile, and they knew of Balaam's prophecy that we looked at last week. Numbers 24, 17, that a star shall come out of Jacob and a scepter shall rise out of Israel. See, 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 see the reason they're here is this astronomical phenomenon, a new star shows up in the sky, which doesn't happen every day. And they recognized it as the star of the new king of the Jews. So just think, think, about, think about what's happening here for just a minute. God is revealing himself to these guys through natural revelation, through his created order, through the stars. Even Maybe even more significant is that God is, is also coming to them and using their sinful pagan astrology to get their attention and draw them to himself. You know what we call that? We call that grace. Man, that, 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 that they're into all sorts of who knows what, but God steps in and he makes himself known because you can't ignore this king. Man, I take some encouragement from this because I, I realize that some of you, have, you, you, you've been sharing the gospel with somebody and, and maybe you're kind of discouraged and feeling a little hopeless uh, because you just feel like they're so far away from Christ. You feel like there's just no way they're ever going uh, to believe and they're ever going to uh, trust him for salvation. Listen, whoever it is in your life, they can't be that much farther away than these guys. And that you, you, you may be sharing the gospel with somebody who, you know, they're, 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 they're kind of, I, I don't know, they're into a false religion, they're hook, line, and sinker, and all of this. They've got a belief system that is completely foreign to you. You don't even understand everything that they believe. And, and so in your heart, you're feeling like, I, wa I want to share the gospel. I want them to come to Christ. I just feel like they're so far away from that. Or maybe they're, like, anti-God's word. Jesus. They don't want anything to do with him. Maybe they're de-churched and they think this is like the worst thing possible. They want nothing to do with Christ. It doesn't matter how far from Christ they may seem. Don't give up hope. God can work. And when he does, he cannot be ignored. I think about if we personalize this for just a moment. Where would you be? Where, where, would, where would I be if God had not stepped in and gotten our attention? Have you thought about that? 
and reflecting on the grace and the mercy of God that he would step in and, and rescue me from where I, man, I, I would be so, I'd be so lost chasing after my fleshly desires and so full of myself. But God. Man, praise God. If God is if God has stepped in, this 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 is really the, the, the wise men's story kind of reminds us of the gospel in our own lives. I mean, this is a powerful testimony that they're here, right? Their, their actions actually speak volumes. Because it, it, it's, it's one thing to see a star up in the sky and be like, wow, that's really cool. And, and they're going to go check, you know, get their buddies to come check this out and maybe name it after their girlfriend or something. It's one thing to see a star in the sky. It's quite another to start packing the camels. We're going to get over there. We're going to go see this king. I mean, what, what are they doing here? They, I, 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 why, why are they making this trip? Well, it tells us right there in verse 2 if you're looking at it. Why did they come? For we've seen his star, and we have come to what? They come to worship. And I love that. They don't know much, okay? They obviously don't know where he was going to be born, but what little they do know, they acted on. And they knew enough to know that this king is worthy of worship. He's worth the trip to come and see. I just I like how in the world did a group of, of sorcerers and, 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 and stargazers who are just deeply entrenched in this, in this false religion end up searching for and standing before Jesus? It's because God drew them in. It's all his undeserved grace. He wrote it in the sky so that he could not be ignored, but he also wrote it in the scripture, prophesying beforehand. And what's really sad about this is that uh, the ones who should have been jumping up for joy and taking off and running to Bethlehem to see if it was really true um, don't seem to really care. They're not really interested. Instead, verse 3, when, when, when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, which we kind of get that. I mean, you're a king. You hear about another king. You might not be excited about that. But, but look what it says next. And all Jerusalem with him. Jesus is a threat to anyone who doesn't want to submit to him. But Herod can't ignore him. I mean, the reality is, whether you like it or not, there is a higher authority. So don't be surprised by the efforts of some who are going to try to suppress or attack the existence of God when they start to realize what that would mean if they admitted that he really is the higher authority. Scripture actually makes this really clear for us, guys, that, that, that everybody, all of us know that God exists. Everybody knows that. Ecclesiastes chapter 3 says he has put eternity into man's heart. And we see it all around us. Uh, Psalm 19 tells us that the heavens declare the glory of God. We look around and we see, man, this is, there's, there's, there's order here and there's design here. Somebody made this. God is making that clear to us, but people don't want to admit that because if they do admit that he's a creator, then we'd be accountable to him. And so Paul tells us that, that in Romans chapter 1, um, they, they suppress the truth. I don't want to hear that. 
push it push it aside because what can be known about God is plain to them because he's shown it to them for his invisible attributes, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly perceived. He cannot be ignored. But in our sin, we're going to try. And we, we try to, to get rid of him. And, and, and so, so watch what Herod does. He, he, he calls for a sit rep and and wants some intel on the location of where this is really going to happen. And, and, and the religious, they knew. They knew where it happened. So verse 6, they actually, they bust out the scrolls. And they go right to Micah chapter 5, verse 2. And they read, and you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. So they knew. In fact, What's sad is they knew the scriptures better than these wise men, yet they didn't respond in obedience and excitement. I mean, these guys should have been rolling up the scrolls and putting on the jets and let's get over there and let's see if it really is true that the Messiah has come. They're, they're, not, they're not going. And, and, and then we see Herod start to, to plot. He, he tells them, hey, go, um, go, go look for him, and if, if you find if you find the baby, come back and tell me because I want to go worship him too. Did, did he ever intend to worship? Or was, was that really part of his? No. We, in fact, later in the chapter, we're going to realize his, his wicked intention because by the time he realizes that the wise men aren't coming back and he got tricked, he's so ticked off. He goes to Bethlehem and he kills every single boy who's two years old and under. So in one sense, this story is really all about God's protection of his son. But, but look, at, look at the contrast that we have right here. Think about what the wise men are doing. Why are they here? Can I just ask you, like, has, has God stopped you in your tracks? Has, has, he, has he gotten your attention? If he has done that, then praise him. Praise God. That's his grace that he, that he would uh, call you out of darkness and find you when you were lost and you would never have looked for him on your own. You wouldn't. But he steps in and he draws us to himself. And maybe you feel like God, maybe, maybe um, God's been trying to get your attention and you feel like you've been uh, trying to ignore that because you realize that if you do admit that he is God and you submit to him that that's going to be a threat uh, to your sense of your own self-reliance and independence and, 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 and you'll have to obey and things in your life will have to change. Listen, listen. You cannot ignore this king. But I want to show you that um, submitting to him is actually worth it. It's we get that from the second lesson that we see from these wise men. Note this. He's the king who can bring you joy. It's worth it. The scriptures are, are pointing the wise men to Bethlehem. Scripture says it's going to happen in Bethlehem, but it's not just the scriptures. It's also the star. Look at it, verse 9. This is crazy. Behold, the star that they had seen when it rose, it went before them 
until it came to rest over the place where the child was. Let's just call it like it is. This is not normal. Okay? Like I honestly, I don't know what that would have looked like. What, what was it low in the sky? You know, it was just kind of hanging out. Was it floating there? Why didn't anybody else see it? I don't know. But but this is kind of crazy. And, and and the way the text tells us this, it's making it pretty obvious. This is supernatural. God is leading them to his son. Man, what a picture of grace. And when the star stops, their response is threefold. First, they're full of joy, and then they fall down and worship, and then they just start opening up their treasures and offering him gifts. I mean, this is, this is a picture of true worship for us. Look, look, look at verse 10. I love the language that he uses here. When, when, when they saw the star, they're, 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 they see the house where, where the, uh, the king is, this, 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 cave, this baby that's been born. The text says that they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. I mean, these guys are, are full of joy, but the emphasis on how great their joy is. You could literally translate it, they, they rejoiced greatly with great joy. The, the, the word there in the Greek is megas. It's, it's great megas joy. Not just joy, but mega joy. They are full of joy. And they're not just like relieved that the trip is over. Like, oh man, I'm so glad. Like, like when you feel you finally get to your family's house at Christmas time after a long plane ride or a road trip, and now you're rejoicing because you've arrived. No, these guys are fired up. They're so excited, and they haven't even gone in the house yet. So, so this is not just the excitement that you feel when you're opening presents and you don't know what you've got yet. They know what they've found. That's, that's why they thought it was worth it to make the trip in the, trip in the first place. They found the king, and they are so full of joy. And I, I, like, this is just an encouragement to me, but, but a challenge as well. Do, 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 I, do I find that kind of joy in the presence of God? Do I get that fired up that I get to meet with him? Well, we talk a lot around here about making sure that we're Spending time in God's word. Matt, we get after the daily grind, right, buddy? We get after the daily grind. I was having a conversation with a couple of guys this week. It was just really encouraging for us. You gotta, we we, we want to get after the grind, okay? We, we want to get in God's word, get after these spiritual disciplines. Do it. Don't wait until I feel like it. I'm just going to keep doing it. But listen, the goal of the daily grind is not the grind. The goal is that we would find joy in Jesus. Do you have that sense of joy and excitement that we get to meet with God every day? This God who, who, who came to us and he got our attention when we were hopelessly lost and distracted by the, the glitz and the glamour of this world. And he graciously stepped in and showed us that, that if we're pursuing anything over him, it's just emptiness. It's not going to fill us. It's not going to satisfy. Only he is the king who can bring us joy. Listen, what I'm trying to tell you is Jesus is Awesome. Do you know that? We have, we have joy in his presence. And so, verse 11, they keep going. When they go into the house, they saw the child. Now, uh, notice there's, there's no manger. They're not in a stable. They're in a house now. It seems like there's kind of been a time gap. Um, we don't know how long, maybe it was days, maybe it was weeks, maybe it could have been up to two years uh, since, you know, that's the time limit that Herod 
uh, later ordered all the boys in Bethlehem to be killed. Uh, so, so, so time has passed. Matthew's focus is not on the nativity. Matthew's focus is on the shocking actions of these magi and what it says about Jesus. Because when they saw him, the text says that they fell down and worshipped him. Or maybe this is, um, you know, just kind of following the customs of foreign dignitaries that would come and pay homage to a, 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 another king. But, but I mean, honestly, what would prompt them to come this far? And why fall down? Why are they falling? I mean, what a, what a picture. Think about this. Grown men, powerful, influential men from a foreign land. They don't look or sound like Mary and Joseph, and, and these guys are steeped in another religion. They, they, they delve into ungodly practices, and here they are on their knees and on their faces, not in a palace with all the trappings of royalty, but just in a, in a simple house, on their knees, on their faces, bowing before a baby. Why? Because they knew in their hearts, he is worthy. Now, this is, this is a, a picture for us of, of true worship and adoration of Christ. And it leads to, uh, to the next section here. They, they're falling down, they're worshiping, and then the text says that they were opening their treasures. Opening their treasures, they, they offered him gifts. So, so notice they didn't come to get anything out of him. They're not just looking for what they're going to get out of this trip. They are coming. Worship leads to opening their treasures. I just wonder how, how willing are, are you and I to just open up our treasures and, and, and let go of the things that are valuable to us and, and give. Do you, do you see how giving is actually an act of worship then? Because once you found the thing that gives you the most joy, you don't hold on to everything so tightly. Like, I, I need this, I need to, I need, this is going to make me happy. I'm just, I'm giving it up. When you, when you give generously out of the overflow of your heart, what you're saying to God is, you are better than this to me. And, and even when this is so valuable, you are worthy. And so they're offering up their gifts. Here's, let's just look at the gifts. Let's look at what they give them. They give him uh, gold and frankincense, gold for a king, and, 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 and here's some frankincense. In fact, I've got a picture for you because I know, like, um, some of you have essential oil, so you already have seen this before. Uh, but this, this, is, uh, I, this I, was in uh, Petra on the spice route. This is what uh, the frankincense would have looked like, okay? In fact, I've got some here today. I, I bought some while I was over there, and as I'll be in the lobby afterwards. If you want to come and see it, you'll be able to, like, hold it and try to smell it and all that. It'll be fine. I want you to be able to experience this, okay? Uh, so frankincense was a gum from a tree that would harden. That's why it kind of looks like that. And, and then what you would do is you would burn that for incense. It was incredibly valuable, really important. It's been traded on the uh, Arabian Peninsula for, for thousands of years. But I, I wonder if there's more going on here than just some really valuable gifts being given to a king. Because here's the words from Isaiah chapter 60. Isaiah chapter 60 says, The nations shall come to your light, 
and kings to the brightness of your rising. The wealth of the nations shall come to you. All those from Sheba shall come. They shall bring gold and frankincense. But this is helping us understand that he's not just the king of the Jews. The nations are coming too. Now, we may not know a lot about these guys, but Matthew is including this story to give us a sense of the the, the international significance of Christ's birth and his worth. These wise men from the east are a picture of the nations coming to bow before Christ because he is the king of kings. He is the king the world needs. I mean, of course, the the, the Messiah is going to bring joy for the Jews. They're waiting for him. But what Matthew's helping us understand is that Jesus brings joy to the nations. Jesus makes it possible for you and I to be set free from our sins. Free now to worship the one who made us so so that when we worship the one who made us, we have mega joy and satisfaction in Christ. And and how is that possible? How How did Jesus set us free? By becoming the sacrifice for us, right? In fact, the last gift that they gave points us to Jesus' death and burial. Not only did they give gold and frankincense, but it also says they brought myrrh. Now, here's a picture of myrrh, all right? Um, This is another one of the spices. I've got some here if you want to take a look afterwards. Uh, but, But... This myrrh would have also uh, been another gum from a tree that they would have burned and used for incense. But they also used this for medicinal purposes. You could use myrrh um, in the ancient days as kind of an antiseptic and a pain reliever. So in Mark chapter 15, Jesus is hanging on a cross. And it says they offered him wine mixed with myrrh, but he did not take it. They're offering Jesus relief from his suffering, trying to, trying to numb some of the pain that he's feeling, but he refused because Christ went willingly to the cross with, with, with resolve to bear the weight and the judgment for our sin. And then after he died in John chapter 19. John tells us that Nicodemus came and brought myrrh for his body as they bound him and they laid him in a tomb. So these gifts that they're bringing us, they're they're, they're bringing Christ, they're showing us that, that he's worthy. And they're pointing us to the greatest gift, right? That God would give us his son to die for our sins so that we could live with him forever. Jesus is awesome. But the irony of this story in Matthew is that while the, while the Jews who, who know the scriptures, they don't want anything to do with their Messiah, God uses the, the heavens and perhaps even the words of, of Balaam, this, this uh, pagan seer that we looked at last week to... Uh, to lead these pagan astrologers to come and worship the Son of God in response to a prophecy that a star would come out of Jacob and a scepter would rise out of Israel. He is the king 
the world needs. I just think by his grace, it's only by his grace, he's my king. Is he yours? Father, I pray that you would help us to worship you again this season. As we give you praise for what you did and your willingness to come with resolve, knowing why you came. You didn't uh, come to be served, but to serve and to give your life as a ransom for many. You knew that you had come to die. But you died so that we could have life, so that we could be set free. So God, we give you praise. We give you glory. We're so thankful for the sacrifice that you made for us. Thank, thankful for this, uh, this picture of the wise men that remind us that you made it possible for all of us. The nations can come and find salvation in Christ. And that you are worthy of giving our entire lives. Lord, if it's valuable, I pray that we wouldn't I pray that we wouldn't hold on tight, but we would come with a willingness to open up our treasures and give to you. I pray, God, that you would remind us again that you are satisfied. And as we get after the daily grind this week, getting into your word, God, I, 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 we, don't, we don't want it to just be a checklist item. We don't want it to be just something we do to feel better about ourselves. It's another thing we're trying to get accomplished in the day. God, we want to meet with you we want to enjoy your presence. I pray that you would make yourself real to us again. God, you're awesome, and we love you, and we thank you for your mercy and grace to us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.